Hello and welcome to the Berman Hour Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Berman. Thanks so much for tuning in. My guest this week is my good friend, Mr. Bradley Riot. Before we get into the conversation with B. Rye, he hates when I say that. Before we get into the conversation with Bradley, I would just like to say the Berman Hour Podcast and this Into Oblivion series is a fan-supported and listener-supported podcast. The best way that you can support the podcast right now is by going to dividedheaven.com and clicking on the link to order the new record, Oblivion, because that's what we're talking about a little bit. Also, rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast. Wherever you're listening, does not matter the platform. Give us a five-star rating, write a nice review, and hit that subscribe button. Now, Bradley Riot and I have known each other a long time. I met my wife at a show that he and I played together in West Hollywood in 2009, 2010. My wife is going to hear this and correct me. I honestly can't remember. Calm down, Kate. Whatever. We have a kid now. It doesn't matter if I remember the year. We got married in 2018. That's all that matters, right? Right. Anyway, so trigger warning. Bradley and I discuss some rather explicit drug use and issues of alcoholism and drug dependency, and we don't want anyone to get upset about that. And also, I know there's some people out there that are listening to this with their little ones in the car, and I appreciate you for listening. So just a heads up, it's not uh, everywhere in this interview, but it does come up. Mostly we're talking about Bradley has a new record coming out. Bradley runs Riot Cycles, which is a motorcycle and now a lifestyle brand. We talk about Oblivion. We talk about our friendships. We talk about songwriting. This is a great conversation. Long overdue. So happy to have Bradley Riot on the Berman Hour podcast. So let's get to it. Enjoy my conversation with one of my BFFs, Mr. Bradley Riot. Let's go. start let's talk about riot cycles it's your namesake on a fucking motorcycle company but you're saying now it's going to be more of a lifestyle brand and motorcycle company yeah yeah so i mean as as like a a young buck i always thought it would be really cool to do a clothing company because you know back in the day when uh you know you're just like a little punk kid or whatever you know i i used to go to the store and get like iron on paper and i think my mom had like photoshop one some couple images or whatever with like the name of our band and then like print them out on iron on paper and then cut it out and go buy white like Hanes t-shirts and iron them on and like that's what I would sell at our shows you know and um <laughs> I thought it was super dope yeah also like my my dad and my my family owns like a print company in Orlando Florida and so like oh, let's right. talk about like right. the the amount of Xerox machines which I wasn't upset about it but it was on me to kind of make the show flyers and like make the merch and all that shit so I got really into it and uh, I wanted to start a clothing company back in the day. And it's really funny. I, I was thinking about this last week because with, so with the motorcycle company, you know, I, you know, me, I have, you know, I was never really into motorcycles and so, until I saw a, a cafe racer and I was like, that's cool. Cause that's the punk rock of motorcycles. It doesn't have like a, you know, a stereo on it or like a bunch of plastic and whatever. Right. It's just, it's just stripped down to the bone, bare essentials, loud as hell. 
fast as hell. Yeah, so that was the thing, and I, I got really into it. And, uh, you know, it's like kind of with like any any job, you know, like at a certain point or any passion, at a certain point it can become a job, which I guess that's a good thing. I, I was doing such such a great job at it that like I actually had to start registering it and, you know, pay taxes. And you're like, what the fuck is this <laughs> shit, you know? And I just kind of like, I was like, this is cool and all, but like punk rock authority brain too. You're like, don't fucking tell me what to do. Like, don't tell me how to paint my painting. Don't tell me how to build my thing, you know? So I kind of got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I just want to build the motorcycles the way I want to build the motorcycles. And on top of that, like, you know, uh, I, I have this thing where, um, there's a bunch of motorcycle brands that put, you know, motorcycles on their t-shirts and what this stuff. And I'm like, dude, like I never wore a t-shirt with a motorcycle on it in my life. I love band shirts. I love like old school punk rock shirts. And so I decided I'm going to do all of our merch. Um, our motorcycle merch is going to be anti-motorcycle merch, basically. So I'm like, I want nice. all of our, all of our motorcycle merch is going to look like a band t-shirt big loud logos on the front push the envelope of it and it's and it's dope right so you're adapting this into a general merchandise and and lifestyle brand do you have plans beyond just t-shirts and fashion or kind of what are you thinking i don't know i just i just get so bored with everything i think i have great ideas so (laughs) debatable you You have a very good artistic eye and a very cool aesthetic always have thank you yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. What's crazy is as I've started to make this transition, obviously like small steps, I've been validated by a handful of friends that are like, I obviously can't afford the motorcycle, but I can afford the t-shirt and the designs are awesome. And I'm not just like, look at my motorcycle t-shirt, you know, like they're really cool. So, and then also like, you know, all your buddies like are wearing your shit. It's fucking cool. Let's transition into music a little bit. Absolutely. Because you and I, I've kind of been on a very similar path for like 13 years at this point. I love telling the story of how you and I met. Oh, it's such a great story. Yeah. I booked a show in LA. It was three bands at the knitting factory and it was for protagonist. I wasn't even playing in the band at that point, but they were coming through on tour. Somehow the show was booked at the knitting factory. Their van broke down. They weren't going to make it. The other band that was going to play, they had to cancel. And I was kind of stuck with this day. And I thought, well, I'll play a solo show and I'll get some other bands. I'm working out. Yeah. Yeah. And one of those bands was Gentlemen Prefer Blood, who you were producing at the time. You were making a record with them. And so you came to the show. Producing is a little loose on that. I'll give them credit on that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Todd, Todd and Jason were the main songwriters of that. And they, they pretty much already had like a plan, you know? So I did, I did help out, but I had to, I got to give them credit for that. Like, but yeah, so I went there to go ahead and see them and, and show them support. And the opener, <laughs> opener, this is. I pl- I headlined that show. Oh, you headlined. I, I played that's last right. for some reason. That's right. That's right. That's all right. Sorry. I, I was mistaken. But. <laughs> And they're fucking, you know, they're fast punk and loud and whatever. And then all of a sudden you popped on the normal thing that happens, which like we, we learned early on in our career, which like acoustic guys got to play first, you know, because then everybody's like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> let's go back to the bar. Yeah. But I was I was on my own wave, too. And I was hungry. I was, I was you know, I was living at the recording studio uh, in a loft above it. So like I was literally living inside of a recording studio. And so I was hungry for new artists and whatnot and um, doing my acoustic thing too. And then I was like, oh, let me check this guy out. And you fucking crushed it. It was, it was great. 
It was awesome. Thanks, man. The studio that we're referring to was the old location of White Buffalo, which was essentially, everybody knows Hollywood and Vine, of course. It's an iconic intersection. It was just half a block removed from that above above a pizza place that turned into a donor kebab place. Which then the turned into a bigger spot. And yeah, it was like... Yeah, insane. corner of Ivar, right? Ivar and Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy. There's this giant... So it's this giant like beige building and there's one door on the side of it with like an address on it, right? Like super unassuming. And I remember actually <laughs> my parents uh, came to visit me from uh, from Florida. They're like, I'm like, hey, just like go on the corner of, Ho- of Hollywood and Ivar and like let me know when you're outside and I'll come out. And the, I remember them standing there like looking around like absolutely clueless and just like this one door in the side of this long ass building. I'm like, hey, what's up? Just pop out. They're like, what the fuck are you? What is this? And then you go in and it's like a two story room with like a loft and yeah it was amazing and there's luckily there was a shower in there that was a great studio setup it was was awesome man great it was so good and uh noah shane one of oh i i learned so much from noah shane who's the the producer and the owner of white buffalo so grateful that i was able to stay there i'm sure he was grateful sort of in in that era uh that i was there too later on he wasn't so grateful that i was staying there but (laughs) i don't think i don't think he was grateful when you brought me to his wedding either because he's (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he saw us in the buffet line and he looked at me and he goes, what are you doing here? And I was yeah. like, he's like, oh, shit. I just wanted the food. No. Yeah, <laughs> that kid's here to eat. Uh, do you remember Do you remember at Noah Shane's wedding when we met Christina Applegate? Oh, I was about to say, I was, I'm so glad. Your voice went up like three octaves. You're like, I'm oh! <laughs> I'm so in love with her from Married with Children. You know, like who wasn't, dude? I mean, she's she's still a babe. <laughs> She's still a babe. What's that uh, show? Dead to me. Dead to me. Like the band. Dead, Dead to me. me. Just like yeah. the band. Amazing. That show is so good. And I'm like, get it, Christina. And I remember like Noah's wife. I am really right. I miss me. <laughs> yeah. And I remember Noah's wife, Shannon. I like, well, I was like, I was like, that's fucking Christina Applegate. She's like, yeah, get it together, Riot. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she, she was the maid of honor. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, oh man, that was that was a very Hollywood moment. That was also very because like we can handle ourselves, but for some reason in that moment, like I was eating a piece of chicken, which is just on par for <laughs> how I handle things when I'm around celebrities. Just eat, so I don't say anything yeah. stupid. And you didn't say anything stupid inherently. It was just you. Oh, and I was digressed. like, you digressed from being a thirty year old to like a 13 and a half year old. Yeah. Well, I was fresh then, out of a relationship too. And so I was like, you think I got a chance, you know? And it's like, no dude, <laughs> like she wants my emotional baggage right now. Fucking. Yeah. <laughs> I remember also, also check this out. Cause I had to take, I had to take a, a bus. I had to take the red line from North Hollywood out to, um, cause I was living with Johnny, the, the original black hands upright bass player out in, um, Winnetka, Winnetka was way out in, in like Canoga park. And I remember I took the red line from North Hollywood to the gold line out to uh, the valley. And then it's like a mile and a half walk from there. And I'm in my suit and it just starts raining, just starts dumping because it was raining all that day. But it just starts dumping rain. I'm in my suit, dead center in this long bridge. And it just went, bam, and started dumping on me. I'm fucking wearing a wearing a suit. I'm walking like forever. And like I just got out of this relationship. Christina Applegate is way out of my league in the moment. And I just fucking went, God damn it, and just went down to my knees and started just bawling my eyes out. 
And I was like, <laughs> just ugly crying. And like, and this fucking cop car fucking pulls up and shines the lights on me. I'm like, God damn it. So I get up, stand up and get composed. And like, you all right, man. I was like, I just fucking got back from a wedding and I'm just lost my girlfriend and I'm walking in the rain wearing a suit and Christina Applegate. And they're like, you need to ride. I'm like, oh, so I'm fine. <laughs> it's just such a day. Yeah. I didn't mean to trigger you with that, uh, that story. <laughs> I'm hey dude I'm I'm so in tune with everything right now we can talk about that in a moment but yeah you know so so I brought you into Noah's studio White Buffalo which was amazing it was so great and I remember like you sent you sent me these garage band demos it's classic like I'm writing this thing I don't really know what's up and like this is kind of my first record like and we kind of tapered it down to be like just like the best of all those ideas and we made a rival city I'm looking at the record on my wall now. I, I remember at one point we had eight songs. Yeah. And you looked at me and you're like, that's a weird number to land on. Yeah. Do you have a couple more? And I was like, yeah, I don't know if they're good. But it, I ended up writing a new one and then I ended up dusting off one that wasn't very good and making it good, which became Brandywine. So I think which, it, I oh, it's going to ask you. Yeah, I, like, I love that song. But yeah, I mean, I think at that point in time, I was so kind of enamored with what you were doing as a solo artist that I was I was inspired to be working with you and to be working just kind of around you, even though yeah. we were operating with kind of like two different intentions for what we wanted to do in, right. a, in our solo capacities, respectively. I still think back, like, had I not met him and had I not been pushed by you to actually make a proper record, you know, I probably, I, there's a very good chance that I could be sitting on a closet full of you know, 508 songs, CD, EPs that just don't, but like, it was a good starting point. It served the purpose of like blazing a trail a little bit for me. It cleared some brush mentally and, and psychologically for me to have a path to follow. That's great. Thank you for, for saying that. I really appreciate that. And uh, I remember as you sort of, as you finished that, or as we finished that, it has like a really cool like mood to it. And it's, it's, adventurous at least in, in its way at that time you know because we were both sort of figuring it out and um we finished the record and you were like cool I'm gonna do this tour and I was like dope and then like you just didn't stop like you hit the ground running and didn't stop and you're like now I'm doing fucking Europe and I was like Jesus Christ I was like I've created a fucking monster because you, <laughs> you you relentlessly toured in your in your uh Prius <laughs> just like for like you were like months and months on the road and and because I was in studio mode for sure like we were doing a bunch of like big bands and whatnot and I was kind of just there doing doing that thing and playing local shows and whatnot. Well, and you I were also like, getting black hands off the ground. I mean, you were kind of developing. Yeah, black hands was getting wild at that point. I, I actually, yeah, but you were developing your solo project into a band, whereas like I didn't right. come around to that idea like until three and a half years later after you had done it. So like yeah, and, and once and I figured song. out how much work that was, I realized how much work you had put into it in yeah. 2009 and 10 that I was doing in 2014 or whatever, you know. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that too. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Blackings, because Blackings was happenstance as well, because I was like, I'm doing this solo record. And I remember talking with uh, Charlie Paulson and he was like, these songs are so big. Like you can't just do this acoustic, you know? And I was like, yeah. man, it needs drums and it needs this. And I, that's where I, I, I pulled Johnny in to play upright bass. And Johnny came with Nick Morreale, who, uh, joined divided heaven later on and it just became the black hand it was wild dude and yeah we worked really hard played a ton of shows and we got 
I mean, at least locally, like popular, you know, pretty, pretty For damn sure. popular locally. Definitely a force. And I'm <laughs> talking about being the acoustic guys at our, at the punk rock show, right? Oh God, where were we? It was like we were out on tour in like like somewhere like Olympia. We played this like dirty, dirty basement show, and we walked in. It was like hardcore punk bands and all this stuff. And then like and you know we go to get our stuff on stage, and I come up with the acoustic guitar and start busting it out of the case. Almost like a crowd doing the wave, but it was like an eye roll. You know, they yeah. were like, oh, great, acoustic guy. And so I plug in because we played acoustic through an amp, plug in. We're like, all right, hey, we're the Black Hands. Like, here's our first song and just like blew the fucking roof off the place. And people were like, you can do that with an acoustic? We were playing venues too with like, you know, really awesome stages and whatnot. And then also playing these dirty backyard shows and whatnot and just fucking tearing the roof off the place with acoustic instruments. It was so wild because you know acoustic guitar is percussive upright bass is percussive drums are percussive vibe that like we had going with everything kind of going at the same time it was it was it was rad it was super, super it was great. a train man it was like a uh, a musical like freight train like a locomotive to its own pa- pentameter and and nick holding it down regardless but yeah any anyway, my point is you guys had a, like a significant local buzz uh, about you at that point you know, the the difficulties of like trying to recreate that in other cities. Well, let's talk about, I know you're recording a solo record now. I am, yeah. Who are you working with? So I'm working with Kevin Besignano and like, it's dope because I've known Kevin for a really long time, at least 15 years I've, I've known him. And um, it's so funny too, because I remember like at that point, I had already kind of started to buzz because I put out Love You For Never and all that stuff. And um, Kevin was living at this like punk house, um, I think like off like Wilcox or something. And uh, I remember him being like, yeah, I like play acoustic too, you know, and like, here's a couple songs. And I was like, cool, man. Yeah. Good luck, kid. Kind of thing. It's so funny too, because like Kevin is like Berkeley trained. Like he's, he's such an amazing musician and producer. And now he does, um, he does scores for movies and he has his new project called Via Waves where he does all these like out of your mind like patches uh, on like patch bays and different like uh, synths and things like that. Um, stuff I don't even understand. Even as an audio engineer, I'm like, what the hell? We had just never got a chance to work together. I kind of stepped away from music for a while and I had a couple of people, dude, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. I'm like, all right. And so I talked to Kevin and he was like, let's go. And we just kind of had like a little meeting about it. It was great. You know, it was like you could equate it to going out and like having a drink with a friend. Like it, everything has been so seamless. And if I'm like, hey, I have this idea. He's like, oh, my God, I love that. And he's building on it. And then like and vice versa. Yeah. And like his, his approach to it also with working with movie scores and stuff like that is, has been really cool. It's It's made it so like it's not just me doing like what I would just want to do, like, am I, like, what I think, you know, we're doing, like, piano and, like, weird, creepy old violin and, like, stuff like that on it and, like, adding, like, weird, it's coming out to be really cool and it's a lot bigger than I had, I had, I guess, anticipated it would go or even had hoped. It's, it's, it's better than I had even hoped that it could go and it's just like with your record, which I'd like to probably a good transition just like with your new record it's sort of becoming a different animal i i love it and it's kind of like i think springboarding me into another chapter you know like a a yeah that's great a more mature version yeah i think there's something to be said for 
that and working with people who have that sort of we can narrow it down to like more of a cinematic approach to making yeah yeah music and recording music and producing music family it's just harder for us to tour in the same way that we did when we were younger do you feel like the music that you put out now has to have more gravitas because it can't be kind of upheld by a rigorous touring schedule like it would have been 10 years ago you know that's a really good question uh because i was thinking about this i've I've been like listening to like a ton of just like surf punk i fucking have always loved it and like nowadays there's all these bands that are coming out of the weeds right like everyone's trying to do this like lo-fi thing you know it's crazy because i remember like my first stuff i used i did like all my first stuff on the Tascam like four track Obviously, when I started working in record recording studio, working in a recording studio was great because you have access to all this great equipment. You know what I've noticed is people want, I think more than ever, the what I call goldfish brain is highly active right now. People want new content all the time, which goes back to what we were talking about with like like eight songs, man. That's weird, you know. Like nowadays, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, dude, you either do six or you do ten. And if you're gonna if you're gonna go to ten, then you go. Or if you want to go past ten, you either go twelve or sixteen. People get bored so quickly. And I was gonna ask you this too. I've I've noticed with people, it's like you could put out one song, you could put out six songs, you could put out ten or twenty or whatever it is, and and you're like promoting this release like crazy, and people like listen to it. They're like, next, you know, you're like, what the hell? So like, I don't know. I feel like some some stuff like gets lost. You're like, well, fuck, man. Like that was like two years of my life put down on. on on wax, as they say, <laughs> but um, yeah, and people just scroll past it as if it's like a picture of a burrito. Yeah, so it's really hard to to make something that's engaging. Uh, so so to put more gravitas to it, I think the new way to really connect with audiences is to put out really delicious bites, if you will. I think it's kind of the same way with music and fashion and stuff like that too. Like even I'm learning this with with the Riot Cycle stuff and rebranding it. It's like, cool, let's like not continue to beat this one design in. Let's do a small run. Here you go. If you missed it, you missed it. Sorry about your luck. There's going to be something new coming up too. One of the things that I've been kind of kicking myself about, and it's and to use the word again, kicking myself into gear with it too. Like you said, like sitting on these songs, you get to that point where you don't record them and they just live in your mind. And so you continually like play them over and you get stuck on repeat. You can't just be stagnant. You know, you've got to be like active and whatnot. So I think it's really good to just kind of go, okay, here's this fucking idea right now. Bam, there you go. Put it out. That was one of the things I was trying to do with the, um, during the pandemic, I tried to do these home recordings to kind of just, just to get it out, right? Yeah, get it out. And also like prove the fact that like, I did this on an iPad that was made in 2012 you know and of course as i got to the 30p i had so much information on there that it crashed and deleted the whole 30p but <laughs> um, yeah i think everybody's kind of searching for the right answer and the right avenue i mean safely say public I, because i don't care anymore but yeah for oblivion i followed the publicity path that I, it's not exact but it's very similar to what dave hawes did with his last record where he started promoting it at X day, it came out X number of days later. I think everyone's trying to figure out the best way to do it. There's a lot of naysayers out there who will say, well, you can't do this, you can't do this, and you can't do this. And then they're proven wrong. It's jealousy and jadedness that that brings that upon. 
and on on that campaign, I think some of I think that approach is 100% valid. And I I told you I was like I'm so enamored and impressed and like proud as well of like how you handled this this rollout of the record. You did such an amazing job. I feel like this record's been well received um, with you, and like obviously the attention was there for it. The buildup was great. Like when it came out, I was like, I want to listen to this Divided Heaven record, you know. And I think it's good for um, for big projects like that. Like you're like, here's a here's a full ass banger, right? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, it, the the U comes with a big asterisk. That's my publicist and both record labels, and just yeah, your your team, you know. Yeah, and the gift of time too. I mean, I wanted Oblivion to come out in October. Yeah, <laughs> like here we are staring down like the end of February, and I think we're gonna have the LPs in hand in May. And oh, wow. we pushed we pushed it from October to February, thinking that we would have the LPs in hand sometime this month. Well, yeah, the record production of everything got really backed up this last year too. So yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole other can of worms. But I think right. <laughs> to your point. <laughs> To your point, it's it's a matter of having a plan and seeing it through. And I think right. one thing I've noticed in the last handful of years is that there's subtleties that I learned on this Oblivion campaign that I think are, are going to be useful moving forward in so much as if you're promoting a single that's standalone or you're promoting an, a record, there's things that you can do with language. There's things that you can do to make your posts pop a little bit different. Absolutely, that, yeah that make it so that the viewer and the listener understand that this is more important than just a regular post. Now, does that translate into actual likes and how it feeds into the algorithms of these social media things? No. And that's problematic because I feel like the social media algorithm is anachronistic and oftentimes working against the algorithm for the betterment of the actual artist. Maybe for the artist's aesthetic or whatever, that makes sense. But for the actual like listening experience, I don't think that the social media stuff enhances that at all. I think. It provides a different sort of engagement that I, that I think becomes more personal with people. So even if they scroll past it, I feel like they kind of like, they're more likely to take it to heart, I guess, sort of identify with it. If you, if you keep the language like real with that language and whatnot, I feel like you can identify with it more because like, and you've always been great with that. Some of the, some of the stuff you're like, here's this photo of me. Like I look absolutely terrible. <laughs> like sorry to say that, but like you'll post. You have no shame. It's it's I've 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 seen your penis more than I've seen my own almost. You know, <laughs> no shame. Constantly naked. I'm like fuck yeah, you know. And it's just like all right, right on, man. Like you just you put it fucking out there, and I think it's great. I'm trying to be better with that too because I get wrapped up in my head a lot about like, is this cool? Is this not? Do I put it out? And whatever, then I don't put anything out at all. And then I'm just like not doing anything, you know? Yeah, I agree. The irony about what we're talking about is so much on social media that gets, you know, genuine engagement or or likes or whatever right. are things that are references to the past, whether mm -hmm. it's, a you know, a time hop or it's actual, you know, the, the throwback Thursday, flashback Friday, where people are posting photos of how they looked and you know, kindergarten or how they looked in their quote unquote punk phase and their, whatever right. it is. Like, I'm not judging people for it. Those posts are examples of timestamps. They are a captured, unchangeable moment in time, right? right? They are there. When we look back at these records that we make, 
they're the same thing. They're more personal to us because we created them, but that's what I think people are forgetting. And and I, I think that's the, the main disconnect with how to promote music on social media because it's like, it's a timestamp. So for example, Oblivion is a timestamp of my world and my understanding in 21 and 22, right? right? Yours is going to be the same thing for 22 and 23, right? It's going to be like that that time period in your life and that yeah. will never that will never change because it can't because you can't change the past so it's frustrating on one hand that people love the fun of the nostalgia that people share about their lives but they don't recognize when people are actually putting substance into the world that is going to stand the test in the time. moment yeah 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 in the because, moment because like you know 10 years from now in 2032 like I hope people look back at Oblivion. I hope I look back at Oblivion and think like, oh, that that takes me back to that time. And so for the listener, it's the same right. thing. It can take them back to that time. But there's more substance to it than just like the posts on social media. Like we're not going to remember that. Like what are you mm. going to do? Like keep reposting what you reposted 10 years earlier? Like it's a popcorn right. fart. It's nothing to it. There's no <laughs> substance. Funny you say that because it touches on what we were talking about before about like putting out putting out stuff, you know, like quickly or whatever. What I've learned, because the first one that the first record that I put out was uh, "You Should Be Ashamed of Yourself." I finally got the keys to the recording studio. They're like, "Once you're done with the drum edits, you go ahead, kid. Here's a microphone. Do whatever you want, you know." And like, I fucking hate that record, man. I'm like, I'm like, oh my god. But like at the same time, like I was kind of going through some shit, you know. I almost wish that I'd cut that record in half, <laughs> you know. But um, I'm like, wow, dude, really? Five minutes. You're going to sing about this for five fucking minutes, bro. Lighten it up. <laughs> Tighten it up, dude. But still, there's something to be said for having the honesty and the want to put that out there into the world where it's like, it's just, it's yeah. completely raw. Yeah, it's super it's raw. Like, it's and the antithesis of the person that you were mentioning that filters their face for everything that they put out into right. a public forum. This is an interesting transition into what I'm going through right now. So the new record that I'm working on uh, is called Dark Side of the Road. It's sort of like this culmination of tracks that come from, uh, just to say it lightly, being inebriated and checked out and also wanting to check out and not really having uh, any sort of foreseeable hope of coming out of that state. And without having that hope, wondering if anything is a ever going to get better or b worth it and then c if it's not going to get better and it's not fucking worth it then why are we even here kind of thing this record takes a pretty dark turn for i guess everything that i've i've worked on to accompany the record i'm working with an amazing director his name's borja and he's such an amazing filmmaker uh and he goes I want to make a film that goes along with your record. Let's call it Dark Side of the Road. I was like, okay, dope. So we went out to the desert. We went out to uh, El Matador Beach. We filmed this thing. And at that moment in my life, you know, like I said, I get bored easily. So like I was bored with, with everything. I didn't really have much hope for myself uh, or the world in general. And I was completely inebriated uh, almost 24 seven, you could edit this out or bleep it or whatever it is. But I would wake up and do a line of cocaine and drink a half a bottle of Jameson before 10am. 
and I was just trying to check out. We did some of this filming and it, it was funny. Borja's like, I want you to have this raw emotion. He's like, so I want you a little bit drunk while you're playing. I was like, that's easy. You know, <laughs> I, was like, I can do that easy. And then I just got the first cut of the film this last week. And I'll say this right now, uh, as of uh, two days ago, I am now five weeks sober. Congratulations. I'm very, I'm very proud of you. Thank you, man. I, I really appreciate that. I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of myself. And I'm actually like I'm out in 29 Palms with one of my buddies who's been sort of a longtime friend uh, who's we're out here working on some art projects as well. And sort of like he's being he's been a cheerleader for me um, this whole time, too. So it's really great to be out here in like this headspace yeah. and be present with it. Um, but yeah, so I watched the first cut of the film and I was like, fuck, <laughs> like, I just I didn't like myself. I didn't like looking at it because it was holding a mirror up to that moment, you know? And I had, I told Borja, I'm like, damn, dude. I was like, wow. I was like watching this. I almost never want to drink again or not almost. I go, I go, I go, first of all, I go, I have three things, three things to say. I go, number one, I never want to drink again. Number two, I'm sorry. <laughs> I like waste this time. Um, and then I go, number three, I go, let's still call this dark side of the road, but let's call it um, a portrait of descent. So we're retitling it to that because it's definitely a, holding a mirror up to that moment in time where you're like, wow, like this is almost like without hope. It's, it's definitely a descent into like darkness, you know? And yeah, it's, it's a total timestamp, which is what he said. He goes, look, that's where you're at in this moment. He goes, the performances aren't bad. You're, you're a lot better than you think you look. And I was like, well, I look shot out, man. Like what? He's like, well, it looks good on film. I was like, okay, great. Thanks. But he's like, he's like, dude, it's just a, a period of time, you know? And he goes, and it's great. Cause you yeah. never, you know, you're like, you're, you're obviously going to move forward from here. And it's, and it's awesome. And, and with all this stuff too, talking about laying plans, I'm like, cause I already have three, since I didn't get to do my three EP thing in the pandemic. Cause my fucking shitty old iPad, like ate the third one. I was like, that's it. Let's do a real three EP thing. I'll be working with Kevin on it. And I went, cool. Like this one's going to, this first one will be about descent. Uh, the next one will be about sort of like being present, overcoming stuff. The third one will be about triumph, you know? So being, everyone oh, loves yeah, it, man. Everyone loves a good trilogy. So yeah, well, I'm proud of you, uh, as a friend Thank and you. as a, as a musical colleague, second, and as a friend, primarily, I'm obviously very Thanks, proud man. of you and the work that you're doing. You. I'm not holding your feet to the fire about this, but I do, do you have a timetable? Do you have a timetable for this release? No, I'd I'd love to have something out by April. I'd love to have this this first one out by April, which is a couple months, and it's just enough to kind of light a fire underneath us. Yeah, but yeah, we'll see. You know, we'll see how it goes. So we look forward to it. Yeah, Best man. of luck with sobriety and riot cycles and this musical endeavors. You're killing it, man. You're fucking killing yeah. it. And last but not least uh or last but certainly least because it's not as important but thanks for working on part of the new divide to heaven record with me i appreciate that very much too a it's what i told you this last week i was like i was like it's so a divided heaven record as soon as it starts you're like i'm listening to divided heaven so it's like perfect on brand and then um what's dope is it it varies from that in a way that's that's great because it has um you obviously worked with a bunch of different artists, you know, uh, especially like mm -hmm. Frank Turner, which is awesome. I remember hearing about Frank Turner back when he put his first record out and he's, you know, obviously an amazing songwriter. You're way out of the box on this one, which is great. And uh, 
I love my my favorite part about about this record is like the 80s influence that comes with it though. That's like my favorite part cuz it well of course anybody that knows me knows that that's there. Like so now it's just represented in in divided heaven properly. Oh, I think it's the second song. I think it's is it Burn? Yeah, Burn I think, Me. I think Burn Me. Um I feel like I'm in an 80s montage, you know? Like I feel like I'm in like Rocky, like I'm working out because you have that little like uh that galloping guitar. <laughs> yeah, man. I was like, I was like, I, Love I need it. to I need to take Motley Crue looks that kill and the killers bling confessions of a king, which is like a western kind of song. And like yeah, like, yeah. meld it together. I was gonna ask what were your influences on that, man? Cause cause yeah, so that's 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 good to hear. And are you gonna are you gonna keep doing full band stuff? I mean, for the as you continue to put these records out or or what? Man, I'm interviewing you for my podcast. You don't get to ask questions like that. I got a whole list of questions, bro. Okay, how about I have no fucking clue. All right, well let's let's go on that because here's one of the things that I want to know, and um, this is where I where I'm wrestling too as I'm writing, you know, before I'm I'm notorious for like literally being in the studio recording a record and then already working on the next one. Where you really grew on this record was going outside of the box, you know, and like I said, like obviously working with like like Frank and and I don't know if you like I know Jen from Bomb Pops is on there. Hi Jen, uh, but. I know, like, I don't know if you, like, did, like, co-writing with, with her, because I've done a little co-writing with Jen. Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, no. It was just having her contribute, which I'm grateful for. But here's my question. Um, me too. She sounds great. But how do you get out of being stuck in chord patterns, like, personally? Because, you know, a friend to friend, artist to artist, I, you know, I've noticed, I'm like, oh, dope, I got this idea, and, like, I I cannot for the life of me get away from the A minor chord. I love that chord. It just has this, like dirtiness to it that i love you know song recently which is like one of the newer ones i'm working on and i'm like fuck i already wrote this song for the last record you know like like how do you get out of that chord pattern personally two things one i tend to write chord progressions that have a lot of movement yeah and therefore my default vocal setting and lyrical setting is that i will write a lot of lyrics that end up having a melody that kind of hops right which a is not conducive to writing something that is memorable all the time. Take 1983, for example, which I think is yeah. a great song, but like, yeah. it's just too much going on. Two, it requires a lot of practice to make sure that I can hit the notes in yeah. the, the sequence that they need to be. And ultimately sometimes cool. requires a little bit of nudging and, and fixing on the back end of production, which we don't like to talk about, but everybody has to do it to some hey, extent. Has, dude, some people do that shit live. <laughs> yeah yeah there's two things really to answer your question one is i try to simplify everything yeah and then two i learn songs that i love that are written by pianists that's awesome in that i always learn a new chord i'm a fan of the half step so getting in and out of a half step to make something really powerful and unique is something that i always i'm always working at i learned on guitar I want to say it was like Tiny Dancer, maybe Rocket Man, New York State of Mind. And then I learned a song called Southern Nights by Alan Toussaint. Uh-huh. And I learned the chords that he did on piano. I translated that into guitar. And I learned a few new chords, specifically ones that I ended up using in the song Monuments. Dude, that's awesome. Because also, you're you're a much better guitar player 
than I am. I'm fast as fuck at guitar, but I'm also pretty bare bones, you know? But you do a lot of covers and whatnot. I think that's something I need to work on myself. I've always been like, like even as like a little kid, like writing songs to, a, to like my four track or a little cassette tape player, I always just wrote my own. I was never like trained in guitar. I never took lessons, any of that stuff. Play along to like radio shit. I would hear it and get influenced by it. And then I'd go, okay, now I'm going to write my own thing. The piano stuff is better. Like, And it's not even, I mean, I just, I picked Elton John songs that I loved, but like yeah. it, it doesn't, they don't need to be hits, but anything that is written by a pianist first, yeah, they, they have ways of moving in and out of chord transitions absolutely that, yeah that equate to us literally as like right and if you if you get into the nuance of what actually happens just making guitar finger hands right now while he's talking <laughs> by the way but that proved to be incredibly valuable incredibly valuable. <laughs> but i think this is a good point for us to wrap it up for the sake of brevity i mean we're all right besties. we could talk forever but we can literally talk forever Thanks for coming on the pod, man. I love Dude, you. Dude, thank you for having me, man. I fucking I love you too. It's it's so cool. I'm super proud of you. And um I I can't leave without saying that like what just your recently four year wedding anniversary and you guys have a baby who is what how old is Stadius now? Eight and a half months. Eight and a half months, little babe. I'm so proud of you too, man. It's it's and a new fucking record. I mean, come on. You got a new house. You got a whole fucking house. It's like insane. You're killing it. You're Thanks, killing man. It. Yeah. Life is crazy. <laughs> Life is fucking crazy, yeah. man. Thank you, man. Thank I, you. I love it, dude. I love it. And there you have it. My conversation with Bradley Riot who will have a new record sooner than later. As soon as we know, I'll I'll be talking about it, obviously. But until then, he does have music out. You can find it anywhere. You can also check out Riot Cycles. You can see the link for that in the description of the podcast. And Bradley engineered a number of the songs that we recorded for Oblivion. Uh, Most notably, Burn Me, which we talked about in this interview. So again, thanks to Bradley. Thanks to all of you for following the Berman Hour podcast. Thanks if you've ordered Oblivion. If you haven't yet, you're dead to me, but you still have time to worm your way back into my heart. Go to dividedheaven.com and order the new album, Oblivion, on CD, on vinyl record, or at least listen to it on a streaming service of your choice, right? Yeesh. Also, thanks to our booze at punknews.org for partnering with us on this Into Oblivion series on the Berman Hour podcast. Thanks y'all so much. I'll see you next week. Let's go.